We're going to finish Genesis chapter 3 today, so please turn your Bibles there. Uh, Last week, we looked at Genesis 3, 1 through 13. We looked at the fall. And we learned why we do what we do. And why do we do what we do? Because we... Because we want what we want, what we want. That's right. And we want what we want because we think how we think. We also often feel how we feel because we did what we did. Now, this week it's time to look at the consequences. We're going to see today the curse. The curse that came as a consequence of sin. And we're going to see today what God did and is going to do in response to it. We're going to see the curse, but wait, there's more, right? So to give us the right perspective and to refresh our memories, let's go ahead and just start reading way back up at verse 1 in Genesis chapter 3. Let's read together. And now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now before we move on to the rest of this chapter, let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us as we seek to understand his word. Father, we thank you, not for sin, but for what you have done about it. God, I pray that you'd help us now as we look into the consequence of our sin, the consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve, of man's rejection of your lordship. And God, I pray that as we read this today and as we discuss what your word says in Genesis 3, that we would find you to be wonderful, that we would leave here today being amazed at your goodness and your love toward us and compelled to follow you with our whole hearts. God, please grant this to us by your grace, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the curse. Verse 14. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, first in line. And this is going to be a picture of the real deal because this is, this is God speaking to the animal, the serpent. So we think, what in the world is this all about? Why does this matter? But this is a picture. It says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Uh, interesting, the curse affected all living things. There's not just the serpent, not just man and woman, but all living things are under the curse. But the serpent gets the worst of it. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Uh, some people think that the serpent there had legs or something like that, or like he was a, more of a lizardy thing than a snake thing. I don't think we can say we know that, but we do know what the serpent was uh, given afterwards, right? He's going to go about on his belly, it says, and he's going to eat the dust. That's kind of a figurative thing. I don't think that snakes eat dust so much as they just hover right there above the dust, right? They're above the dust, and it says it'll be all the days of your life. This is for all time, even in eternity future. Think about this. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-five says this. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. That doesn't sound like the curse, does it? The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. Wait a minute. (laughs) Things got better, things got better, things didn't change. The serpent gets this even then. And it says, they shall not hurt or destroy. The curse of the serpent, even into that time, you're still going to be on your belly You're still going to be eating dust, but you won't be able to hurt anything. That's what it says in that time concerning the serpent. So this is the picture of the real deal, but now let's get to the real deal in the curse for the serpent, for Satan. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity, this is a bitter hatred and animosity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Are we getting that this is not just a snake now at this point? God's promise here, the seed of the woman will come, and you will inflict, inflict injury on him. You will inflict injury on him, but in doing so, he will crush your head. Sounds like a fatal blow, doesn't it? He will crush your head. Listen to Hebrews 2.14 that through death he, and this is Jesus Christ, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In Christ's death on the cross, he, Christ, destroyed our enemy. Praise God for that. In Genesis 3.15, right here, as Satan's punishment, God's promise is given for Christ. And his promise of the cross. Right here in Genesis 3.15. Now, to the woman. To the woman, he said, verse 16. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So this first part of this here, uh, in Hebrew, this word for childbearing includes everything from conception through the birth. I don't know about you, but I always kind of thought about the childbearing being childbearing. <laughs> and so I only would ever think about this as being the actual birthing of the child. You know, you 
You feel the pains, you go to the hospital, you have the baby, right? Just that time. But this isn't that way. It, it means everything from what is required for conception all the way through to the birth of the child. The reason that there would be any pain at any point in time throughout any of that process. Why? The curse. It's all-encompassing. That whole thing is a response, uh, a result of, I should say, the curse. And then secondly, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now remember, as we read through Genesis 2, we had this picture of what God intended for the husband and the wife, for, for man and for woman, this idea of complementarianism, to be complementary to one another. Both created in the image of God, both of equal value and worth, both with specific God-given roles in their relationship with one another, that the man would lovingly lead and that the wife would lovingly follow her husband. And in the curse, and realize this, in Genesis 2, when this is happening, nobody said, foul, I don't like that. But now we do. Why? Because in the curse, God says, Eve, you are going to want to lord it over your husband. It wasn't a reverse of Genesis 2. It was a whiplash all the way to the far extreme. The woman will want to rule it over her husband in the home. And then if that were not hard enough, then it says the exact opposite will be what the man will want to do. So it's not going to be an idea where there's a loving husband who perfectly follows and exemplifies Christ and benevolently tries to guide his wife through their life together. No. In that marriage, the woman will say, no, I'm in charge. And then the husband will say, oh, you think so? No, I'm in charge. And he will take it to the furthest opposite extreme and he will try to lord it over her. Is this grounds for conflict? And why is it that way? Because of the curse. Why was it so hard to define and think about Genesis 2 and the way God made marriage? Because of the curse. We have messed it up royally. <laughs> and it's hard for us to even think about the way that God made it to be. Why? Because of how we function in the curse. Now it's Adam's turn. Verse 17. Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, who was the voice that Adam was to listen to? God's voice. Adam, you decided to follow another God. The one that I made from you and gave to you. You decided to listen to Eve instead of to me. And because you have done this, because you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Remember what I specifically said to you, Adam. You did it. First of all, Cursed is the ground because of you. The ground will not yield as well as it could. And two, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So the ground will not yield as much, and you're going to have to work harder to get what you get. And you're not going to like it 
that's going to be toilsome and burdensome for you. It'll take more to get less. That stinks. <laughs> There's a lot of farmers that say, yeah, that really stinks. You know how many billions of dollars are spent every year on products to make us get more yield? Billions and billions of dollars. Why? The curse. The curse. And then finally, number three here, till you return to the ground. God said, you eat of it, you will surely die. And Satan said, no, you will not surely die. And God says, you're going to return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for your dust, and to dust you shall return. And we know this is physical death, and we know this is true of all of us. It's not just men. Women do not live forever. Men dying. Right? We've seen this. And this curse to Adam, the curse given to Eve, does it affect all of us? And God communicated to Adam and Eve as he saw fit, as he saw application. But it hurts us all. Here's where it gets good. Okay? The man called his wife's name Eve. This was an expression of faith. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. Where would Adam have gotten that idea? He, he knew that God had commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. So number one, we know this. Adam intended on obeying God at this point. But also, what specifically, what kind of life is he thinking about right now? What seed might he be thinking of? <laughs> Adam has put his faith in this promise of God that this seed was going to come and crush the head of their enemy. And he names his wife as such, the mother of all living. He expresses his faith in this way. And in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. These are not plants and leaves, which means what just happened. And this had not happened yet. Realize this. Yeah. God had to kill, skin this animal, or these animals, to clothe Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. There was awareness of sin, and there was shame in sin, and there was a need for a covering. And who provided the covering? God provided the covering. And what was required for that? Death. Death. Blood. Was the animal the reason why all this bad stuff happened? No, he was innocent. And so you have this picture of innocent blood being shed as a covering for our sin. Atonement. So in these two verses we have faith and we have atonement. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever, or and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. The cherubim throughout Scripture are angels who are guardians of the glory of God. So there are cherubim there to guard man out of that place. And a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. We have here grace given. These sound like awful things, don't they? They sound like awful things, but think about this. In the condition that we are now in, this is grace. Do you remember in Exodus what God said to Moses when Moses asked to see his glory face to face? No, you can't. You can't. Moses, you can't handle it. I'll pass by, but you can't handle it. You'll die. Right? And think about man's sinful state. If Adam and Eve go back into the garden and grab from the tree of life and they eat from it and they live forever, then what's going to happen? Are they in good shape right now? Think about our lives. Think about the difficulties of our lives, the sicknesses, the, the struggles in relationships, the way that others have sinned against us and hurt us, the way that we have sinned against others and hurt them. Think of the atrocities that we hear about in the world around us today. This is not what we want forever. No way. There's a reason we look forward to heaven. There's a reason why we look forward to Christ's return. He's going to make everything right. We don't want this. We want it made right. But we don't want this. And so God graciously, graciously removes Adam and Eve from the garden, ensuring that they can't and we can't get stuck in this forever. This is God's grace and goodness given to man. But in verse 24, we do have this hurt This horrible thing that he had to drive out the man. Man is now separated from God. There is a broken relationship. And so therefore man cannot be in the dwelling place of God. Man cannot be in the dwelling place of God as a result of what has happened. So we are under the curse Because we're under the curse, all matters of life, all the things that we would think about, all the things that we would participate in, all the things that we would want to do, everything is all out of whack because we are under the curse. Our relationships, our thoughts and our understandings about how they ought to function, what the value of them is, all of that's out of whack. Our purpose, what are we here for? Why do we exist? Our understanding of that is, it's messed up, it's wrong. Our value and our idea of worth and self-worth Think about the ideas of like self-esteem and, and codependency, the idea of needing others to validate yourself versus knowing and esteeming God and the great confidence that we get from that. That whole argument and that whole thought process, that whole confusion is confusion because of the curse. The things that ought to bring us joy bring us pain. And we view things, we think about things in the wrong way. We hate work. We hate work. Remember, work isn't bad. We are. (laughs) The reason why things don't go well at work is because we're there. And other sinners. Humbling, but yeah, it's right, isn't it? We hate work. We call children a burden. We call lust, love. We call binging, rest, and some, for some reason, we're exhausted when we're done. We call slavery to sin freedom. 
We might even call death escape, which it is not. Certainly not for those who do not know Christ. We could go on and on and on with these things, couldn't we? So what did we learn about ourselves in Genesis 3? I'd say this, we've learned that we are hopeless. I know it's not like a pick-me-up statement right there. But wait, there's more. Okay? We're hopeless. Dot, dot, dot. On our own. We're hopeless on our own. If left to ourselves, we will run straight toward our own destruction. Remember Proverbs 7.22 says it's like an ox running to the slaughter. We are blissfully moving our way right into the hamburger factory. That's who we are. That's what we will do. And all the while, shaking our fists at God along the way, boasting of our freedom and our liberation. We are in desperate need. We are hopeless on our own. But God. Those are two great, great words in many texts of Scripture. But God. What we have learned about God. He's faithful and just. God did what he said he was going to do. Sin will be punished. But then, when mankind separated himself from God, who was it that initiated restoration? Who was it that initiated reconciliation and relationships? We're learning some things about our God, aren't we? When everything was ruined... Who began to fix it? Who started putting things into place? Who spoke to whom first? God came to Adam and Eve. He found them. Uh, were there harsh words of accusation? Did we read in that first half of Genesis 3, Adam, what were you doing? You're stupid! We didn't hear that, did we? We heard questions. God asked them questions to reveal to them their own hearts so they wouldn't even understand what happened in themselves. Remember, accusations harden the heart, but a question can prick the conscience. When mankind had lost to his greatest enemy, God promised that the seed of the woman would defeat that enemy, crushing his head. When man and woman's sin was exposed, God shed innocent blood to provide a covering and atonement. And even when, man, when God saw that mankind could live forever in the state that we're in, he guarded the way to the tree of life, ensuring an end to this mess that we're in right now. When the fall occurred, God immediately set in motion the means, the examples, the events, the promises necessary to bring mankind back to himself. Let me say that again. When the fall occurred, when the fall occurred, God immediately set into motion the means, the examples, the events, the promises necessary to bring mankind back to himself. God, in justice and in his love, has provided an atonement for us 
through Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and he is our Savior. He's our Savior. In the curse, we know that we're sinners. And we know 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, Death came to all through Adam. But in that passage, it says then, in the second half of that verse, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. We learn in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we're sons of disobedience. That by nature we are children of wrath. That's who we are in the curse. But then we keep reading, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In Romans 6, it says that we're slaves to our sin. That we are in bondage. But praise God, Paul also then wrote that uh, to teach us that through Christ we have been set free from our bondage. In Romans 3, it says that no one is righteous. No, not one. And no one understands. No one seeks for God. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's who man is. But then it says in the next part of that passage that we are justified. We're declared innocent. By his grace. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. It satisfied his wrath, his judgment against us. And that was done by his blood. So that we can receive that by faith. We can receive it by faith. We're prone to want our own way. We don't want a shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But who's Christ? He is the good shepherd. We're prone to think there's another option. That there are things that are out there that are more acceptable, that are more attractive, more acceptable to us. Adam and Eve, remember, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be their own versions of God. The Israelites in the wilderness, in the, in the uh, Exodus time, they made a golden calf and declared, when Moses was away from them for 40 days and 40 nights, Israel, this is the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they all went after it, didn't they? When the Lord was Israel's king, they cried out for a king like all the other nations. And when their true eternal king Jesus came, they shouted, we have no king but Caesar. Cultures all over the world have exchanged the glory of God for images resembling created things. We read that in Romans 1. And now, more than ever, and especially in our culture and Western culture, we have foolishly decided that God doesn't even exist. As if you can decide that. Why all of this struggle? Why has the world since Adam and Eve struggled with God? Remember, that's the word that's used later on in Genesis with Jacob when he was wrestling with God. He struggled. He strove with God. Why all the struggle since Adam and Eve to now and beyond? Why do we want to reject God and try to go 
elsewhere. And it's simple, really. From this text, we see this. Man is broken. And he doesn't want to be fixed. He's broken and he doesn't want to be fixed. Yesterday, um, a dear follower of Jesus Christ, uh, we celebrated his life. He passed away this last week, Don Spone. And at that service, we heard all kinds of testimonies of Don's love for the Lord, his faith, the way that it changed him, his walk with Christ, how great a guy he was, and all that kind of stuff, right? And you hear that at you know, a lot of funerals, don't you? How great a guy or how great a gal they were. You, nobody's not going to say that. But it seemed to be true <laughs> at this one. Go figure. And it was, but all of that testimony was rooted in the fact that he loved Jesus. That he wanted to follow Jesus. And they wanted the gospel preached. And Don wanted the gospel preached at his funeral. And Eleanor afterward said, oh, I'm so glad that you shared that. I'm so glad that that was heard so many times today. I know there were people here that didn't know Christ. That's why we do that, right? And you think, okay, why wouldn't... You, you say all these things about how good the guy is, how great his life was, how great all of his relationships were, how he seemed to really live a good life and be happy and joyful, and everybody acknowledges that. And you hear the fact that it's because Jesus Christ was the Lord of his life, that he'd repented, that he put his faith in him, that he was walking with him. Seems like a locked decision, right? Okay, well, I'm going to follow Christ. But does everybody follow Christ in that situation? No. Man, I wish they would, don't you? We wish they all would. And we desperately seek to share the gospel with them over and over, hoping that they will. That God would do a miracle in their heart and bring them to life and faith and repentance. But why don't we why didn't you the first time you heard the gospel? Why didn't I? And the reason is because we don't want to. We don't want to. It's as if we would say, man, that looks like a great life to live, but that's not for me. I don't want it. Well, what do we want? Would we say, I really, I'm shooting for destruction. I can't wait. I cannot wait to see how messed up my life is as a result of my habitual sin. We wouldn't say those kinds of things. A lost person doesn't say those kinds of things, unless they're being, you know, mocking or something like that. Here, here's the deal. As a result of the curse, we are messed up and we don't want to be fixed. And that is one of the reasons it's so great that God initiated. God came to the garden. God spoke to Adam and Eve. He asked them questions so they could learn of themselves and learn about who He was. He promised the seed of the woman. He promised a Savior. He made the sacrifice for the atonement for our sins. That was all God's doing. And he interferes with my life and he interferes with my heart to wake me up to my need to ask God, forgive me. Save me. And whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. 
and if, as if all this wasn't good enough. God isn't done yet. Listen to what he's going to do. This is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. It says, John wrote this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This mess, <laughs> gone. This world, gone. A new heaven and a new earth. The first one had passed away. And the sea was no more. This world, this creation we live in, it's under the curse. It will cease to exist. And verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, listen to this language, as a bride adorned for her husband. Do you remember Adam on day six? God brings all of the animals before him and he names them. And in the midst of all of that wonderful work that he had to do, he sees something that's not good. God sees that it's not good. He's alone and he has no helper fit for him. And so God put him to sleep. Not like dogs, but he put him to sleep. He took a rib out of him. He made Eve. And remember it says that he presented Eve to Adam. And what did Adam say? At last! All of that time, all of that disappointment, no companion for him, God brings him Eve, and he says, at last! Something wasn't right, and now it's right, at last! And in Revelation 21, when God brings the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem come down, presented as a bride adorned for his husband, at last! Everything was so screwed up, everything was so messed up, and at last! It's right, and it's good. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God had to put the cherubim and the sword there to separate man from the presence of his glory. No more. God's dwelling place will be with man. No separation. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For those former things, right here and right now, those former things, done away with. They're gone, they've passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's who our God is. Remember, in this world we have deception, we have doubts, we have evil desires, we have disobedient actions and our disgust that follows that, which leads to efforts of disguise. But this is who our God is, and and this is what he has done for us. And he's given us Christ, he's given us life, he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that wants to follow. So let's seek out and believe the truth. No more deception. He's given us the truth in his word. Let's seek it out. And let's trust, no, no longer doubting, but trust that he will do what he has said he will do. Let's put our faith in him. Instead of evil desires, let's love the Lord. And see him give us new and right desires. 
He's going to put those right desires in our heart as we delight in Him so that we'll continually want to do the things that are pleasing to Him. And when we want what He wants, we will do what He wants us to do. Because we always do what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want. And if we want Him, and if we want His goodness, then guess what we're going to be busy doing? It's simple. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then we will be able to have joy. Joy and peace that passes all understanding. Joy and peace in this world? Oh, yeah. Yep. In Christ. And listen, if you have never repented of your sin, if you've never put your faith in this God, in the God who has uh, given His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute, our atonement, if you've never received God's gracious gift of faith and salvation, will you do it today? Uh, Think of all the garbage that's pulling you away from Him. Think about the fact that we are willingly in our sin, in bondage, willingly in bondage and under the just condemnation of a holy God. But He's met our need He has given us Himself. God the Son, Jesus Christ, suffering in our place. God the Son, suffering the wrath of God the Father for me and for you. The just dying for the unjust. Let's believe in Him. Believe in Him. Put all your faith and trust in Him and be saved today. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. In this world and in our own hearts, we find deception. We find doubt and evil desires and disobedience and disgust and disguise. And because of that, death. But God has given us His Son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. That was the wounding of His heel. And He there crushed the head of the serpent. The innocent in the place of the guilty. Him being our substitute... Him being the one who gave innocent blood. He being our atonement. So that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could be reconciled to God. And it's all His doing. So right now, by His grace, we can live in the truth. We can have confident assurance. We are now free to follow Him. And to enjoy Him. Our loving Father our suffering servant, our good shepherd. God saw our desperate need and he met it. So church, let's thank him. Let's praise him. Let's love him and follow him with everything that we have, with our whole hearts. Pray together, please, with me. Father, we thank you Thank you for the great love that you have shown to us. God, help us to see things for what they really are and to learn from your word as we've read today and thought through this passage today. uh, Things aren't right here. And, And so often, even in our walk with Christ, because we still do sin, we're not right God, thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ 
Thank you for our freedom in Him. Thank you that we can read a passage like Revelation 21 and see you making all things new with no fear of that previous passage of the judgment because the shed blood of Christ covers our sin in full. God, may we, as we think about these things and as we go from here, God, give us hearts of love and adoration and thanksgiving to you because that is the best thing for us. And help us to honor you, to desire to follow hard after you with our whole lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.